Hey, I'm Taylor Moore, and you should be watching The Crew Review. Gentlemen, yes. let's welcome Mr. Taylor Moore Ooh. onto the review. Look who's Ooh. in the house. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So Downrange is one hell of a debut. Um, and it's already got the early buzz to drive that home. Mm -hmm. But can you yeah. give our audience a little bit of what to expect? Yeah, so Downrange is it's a, it's a little bit different than um, maybe some, some of what's out there. It's, it's kind of a, a modern Western mixed with an operator style thriller. Um, my protagonist is Garrett Cole, uh, an undercover DE agent who um, starts the, his adventure in Afghanistan, uh, but quickly uh, finds himself in a situation where he needs to get out of there um, uh, very fast. And he does and ends up going back uh, home to his uh, ranch in the Texas Panhandle, uh, where I live uh, currently. And I spent a lot of time and, um, and things just sort of uh, go from bad uh, to worse pretty quickly and um and so he's uh, not only is garrett um uh, have himself to worry about he has his whole family there and he's even uh, brought with him a young uh, boy from afghanistan that he's has in protective custody and uh and the whole job is to keep this kid safe and um and very soon he finds out that uh that's harder than uh, what he thought it would be mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> well as you said garrett's your protagonist and he's a damn good one but okay, for me you. the heart of downrange uh, is a series of relationships Garrett has with the supporting characters, each of them, father-son relationship, brother-brother relationship, protector-child, um, old friends, uh, an old crush. Those relationships drive the plot throughout in many different directions. When you set out to write the novel, was that your starting point or did you have the plot and then the characters and relationships grow around that? I think I, I think I always had sort of the um, general idea of what I wanted to do in terms of plotting. But one of the things that I, I just I wanted to I wanted to have a character driven thriller and to to really have uh, people relate um, to the to the protagonist. I think I, I needed relatable problems because, you know, having a, a cartel wanting to kill you or, or terrorists trying to kill you or whatever it is, isn't relatable for most people. No. And, uh, and, and, and although it might be fun <laughs> and it might be exciting, might be enjoyable. I wanted some I wanted people I, I wanted there to be things going on in Garrett's life that resonates with everyone. So everybody can be, you know, I've been in that situation where uh, I have a sibling that we haven't talked to in years or um, or, or there's a parent that, that they've had these ongoing issues with and they need to sort of bury the hatchet or uh, who doesn't have like an old crush from high school that, you know, uh, somehow that comes up and you see this person or whatever. And you have those same awkward feelings that you did when you were 16 or, <laughs> you know, all those kind of things. So I wanted to include those in the book and have it very relatable to people. And uh, so far, I feel like the, the people that have uh, early readers uh, of the book have really seemed to gravitate towards that and enjoyed those characters and enjoyed those situations that everybody seems to go go through at some point in life. Yep, very true. New protagonists or new series, um, they typically are a culmination of people uh, that the author's known throughout their life or somewhere in their lifetime. So yeah. where did the pieces for Goal, Colt, Garrett Cole uh, come from, from your life? So, you know, it's a funny thing. Um, when I first started this, this project, I wasn't, this, this was a second book. I, I got my agent, John Talbot, with a whole other uh, book series <laughs> that was more CIA related, more, you know, <laughs> back, back to my, you know, sort of original, what I knew, the world of intelligence. And, uh, and it was his suggestion uh, that, you know, that we switch it. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a great call by John because Garrett was actually a, a, a secondary character in my first novel series that I was putting together. Wow. Um, and, um, and it's kind of funny. So I, I, writing Garrett, uh, doing something different than what I actually had done for a living, 
was very freeing to me. And, and honestly, I thought, you know, cause you can see me, I'm pretty clean cut guy and everything. And Garrett's <laughs> sort of, you know, tattoos and tough guy, you know, whatever, um, with long hair and the big beard. And, and, uh, and I thought that I was sort of writing someone who wasn't me, but I think I think he might've been me. Cause I, even my agent at, at times had said like, whenever he delivers these lines, he goes, I can totally see you saying that. <laughs> you know? and, and, um, and so maybe Garrett's a little bit of my alter ego. Um, and then, but here's where I think Garrett works because I, whether this is right or wrong, I think I'm always the straight man in every situation, if you know what I mean. Like everybody else is crazy, but me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm always going through these, these uh, situations. I know everybody thinks they're the normal one, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. And that's probably every the show. definition. Of, every show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably the definition of being oh, crazy jerk. when everybody yeah, right. else is crazy, but you. But, but so for Garrett, you know, he, you, know, you see these situations, it starts out with the CIA, then it gets to his own family, then it gets into this like, you know, loves, you know, old, old crush. And I mean, he, he's always the guy that somehow gets put in these bad situations. And I kind of feel like I'm always that person. Hmm. Again, I know that that's probably not the case. But so I think a lot of me sort of comes out in Garrett, even though we don't exactly look alike. And, you know, I grew up on a, a, a ranch and, you know, farming ranch in Texas. And so we had that sort of common that background. And I think sort of a, an easygoing, we both had that sort of easygoing nature. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's a lot of Garrett Colin, you know, that, that of, of me that comes out in, in him and his voice. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm trying to think there's any, there's probably other people that, that come into play. But, the way he looks as people yeah. you knew in your former life. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he definitely looks the part of someone that needs to fit in and into that crazy uh, DEA undercover world. Mm. So uh, the story begins in Afghanistan, like like you said, and then it quickly moves to West, West Texas. And although they're thousands of miles apart, I'm curious as if you, as you wrote the story, whether you surprise yourself with how similar those two places are. Um, it's, they're oddly similar. And uh, when I started going up to Canadian Texas, uh, when I was working in oil and gas, um, I quickly noticed how oddly sort of similar, you know, it was to Afghanistan in the, in the landscape. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but there's a, a, a really specialized sniper training program up in outside of Canadian Texas. And, um, and so I started, um, uh, it was kind of funny because, you know, I talked to some of those guys and they're like, yeah, I mean, oddly enough, because we would get up on these plateaus and they could shoot these long distance, um, you know, kind of make these shots like they would make over there. So there was really oddly some, some similarities, uh, to there. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah. Well, there's zero doubt that Cole is a lethal human being when the circumstances call for it, but his actions in downrange are driven pretty much by his heart and his love and compassion for other people, whether it be the boy or his family. Um, Like physicians, operators kind of have to develop a cold detachment in order to do their job effectively. But as someone who's been in the field at various points of your career, where is that line between cold detachment and the emotional aspect? And how do you find it? How do you, how are you sure to find it? And you can answer that both from a fictional and a real standpoint, if you'd like. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. Um, and I, I don't know, I think probably for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different, you know, uh, for me, I find it kind of hard to detach, um, from, from things that are going on and, and from people that are involved. And I think it's just a personality thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, you know, if, whether you're in, in, working in intelligence or law enforcement, uh, you have a job to do and you just have to do it. And, um, and you know, you take, you take an oath to do that job. And sometimes it, you have to make decisions that are hard, uh, that are for the good of the country or the security of the country that might not be um, the best for, for an individual or something like that. Um, but Garrett struggles with that and you see that in his book and I, I, probably the same struggles that I had, um, you know, worked in the CIA, you, you realize people's lives are involved here, you know, mm-hmm. people can be hurt by what's happening or what's going on. And uh, so I, I, I don't know if there is like a right answer or, you know, if there's a definite answer, it's just more of, you know, of, it's kind of like a case by case basis of, of, um, of every situation it's just it's hard to say but yeah that there is a strange um that's a strange world where, where you're 
you have this mission to do, but people's lives are affected by it. Hmm. Well, you started to mention kind of how uh, this book came about with your agent saying, hey, maybe we should work in a little bit different direction here. So what was the genesis for for this, where it was placed and what the storyline, the overarching storyline, where did this come from? Was it some cumulative experiences in real life? Was it a, a you know, something you saw on TV, a news article? What, where did this all come from? So when I was working as a landman and uh, so I would go up on these big, so my job, I don't, and maybe I'll explain a little bit what an oil and gas landman is for those who don't know, but you're basically the guys who go out and make the deals with people, whether it's on mineral rights or surface rights, because, you know, those, um, so you're making the oil and gas deal, but also, you know, those rigs have to come in and, and you have to build roads and, and do all those, those kind of things that are, you know, pretty, uh, and they can really disrupt uh, people's lives and operations. So because I'd worked in farming and ranching and growing up with that, and, and we had oil and gas on our place, I kind of knew that world. And so I, I was sort of a natural fit to go out there and meet with people and be like, okay, this is going to disrupt your, your world here, but let's, let's do it with the, you know, the, the least consequences as possible. And let me be your guy when something go, goes wrong. Let me, let me, you know, come on, let me, I'll be the one to handle it. Don't worry. Mm. And, um, and so I, I you know, I got, made some really good relationships with people out there in these ranches. And, and so I started to learn and grow and learn about these people and learn about the history up here. And, uh, the Texas high plains is so different than where I grew up in central Texas, even though it was, it was both in agriculture, it's so different and so vast up here. It's just absolutely amazing. Hmm. And I would get out there on these ranches some, some days and, and drive for hours without even seeing anyone. And <laughs> it just, it's like the, the mind can't even it, it, like comprehend or, you know, how far you can see, you can literally see as far as the horizon will go in some wow. places. Cause it's that flat and you might get up on a, on the cap rock here, which is like a kind of a large plateau. And you can just see for, I mean, I don't even know how far, but, but I guess the point being is that as I was going around meeting with people, uh, visiting with people, I started hearing these stories and they reminded me sto of stories that I, I heard growing up when I was a kid uh, about uh, drug, you know, no, no, no place is, is without, uh, has not been touched by drugs, drug trafficking mm -hmm. and the crime associated with drugs. I started hearing these, stories uh as i was going around about weird things happening and uh what's happening you know even with like wealthier families kids getting into drugs and meth and all this stuff and then you know the traffickers money laundering all the things that were going on and as a kid i remember hearing these stories even in my own community about uh i think it was the maybe the juarez uh cartel i mean well, anyhow it was, it was one of the cartel um metamorphs cartel had gotten involved with some people and i remember them hearing about uh planes flying over and dropping cocaine and these cowboys would ride out on their horses and pick up the cocaine and like ride it back to wherever it needed to go and the imagery right i mean as a writer you hear right. something like that and you're like i want to tell a story like that right and so uh, and, and then of course you know i'd worked uh you know towards the, the end of my uh intelligence career i was i was working counter narcotics uh you know in latin america doing that stuff with the military and so I, I had the 30,000 foot view of like what the cartels were doing, uh, their trafficking operations, how they worked, uh, money laundering. And then on the ground level, I was um, meeting with people and hearing these stories and, you know, meeting with law enforcement and, and all these things that were actually going on and, um, and, and hearing about the dangers of what was going on. Well, I just put those worlds together from what I was learning in oil and gas from, you know, on the ground experience, what I'd known, you know, working in, in, in intelligence, working counter narcotics uh, and just put it all together. And, and even, like I said, even things from childhood and, and just research I'd done. Hmm. That's kind of how the story came together. Uh, it's almost like you couldn't not write the story. And it was just <laughs> right, there, yeah. just right. I mean, and it, it, it was there. And I've always been interesting the counter narcotics stuff. I think it's fascinating. And it's, it's something that's not going away. Um, and will probably get worse. And um, yeah, so yeah, it's, and it affects people's lives. Again, you know, uh, I mean, you could, you could talk about a terrorist uh, situation. Well, yeah, 9-11, it really affected people in Washington, DC and, and, and New York. And uh, it, it wasn't that it doesn't affect all of us, but drugs, everybody knows someone who's mm -hmm. been addicted uh, to drugs or, or hurt by drugs or, uh, and then, you know, of course, in Amarillo, where we are, we're, we're at the, you know, I-27, I-40 <laughs> interchange, 
and yeah. there's just there's a lot of drugs passing through here and you can you know i've heard from law enforcement they said you'd be horrified if you knew who was driving beside you sometime people that would just kill you as a soon look at you you know and uh so it's a real danger and, and i think we're all exposed to that whereas you know terrorism things like that um not to say that it's not a, a genuine threat but i don't think it's something that's in our faces every day yeah so you know, we've we've talked we've talked to a bunch of authors who have an intelligence background or law enforcement background and although they they write fiction like you they've had to have their work reviewed by the government agencies that mm -hmm. they previously worked for so what was it like for you to run through that gauntlet considering your background? Um, it was a learning experience the first <laughs> the first time I went That's through it. I had quite a few, <laughs> yeah, I had quite a few uh, redactions, uh, which, you know, Jack Carr has those and he just leaves them right in, yeah, you know, and, it and that's fine. I think that's fine. But uh, I, 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 was, I, I did everything and, and scrubbed everything. And, it, it, and just so anybody knows, it wasn't anything really juicy. It was stuff that I was shocked that they would consider classified, but um, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's there. Um, it, it, I, I agreed uh, when I, when I took that job to have things reviewed. And so I, I'm very diligent about having it reviewed. So it's really not a, a cumbersome process, honestly, you know, I send it into a, a, an email, you know, that, that I don't know, I don't know who these people are. It's like some yeah. fake yeah. name that comes back, you know, and says like, we've reviewed this or you need to change this or you need to do whatever. But I've kind of learned what, what can go in and what can't. And so now I think my second book uh, in the series just, just came back and no problems. And so, yeah, it's, it's really not that bad, honestly. You just kind of got to know what you can say and what you can't. And, and I'm a, I'm a patriot. I, I never want to do anything that would put our yeah. country uh, in, sure. in danger or reveal any. Uh, trade craft or anything like that do you, so. do you ever do you ever want to like ask like in a response email like well did you like it no. <laughs> yeah i'd love to do that yeah, i'd love to be like what do you think was this you know from and uh and honestly i don't know did they really read it or are they just like doing a word search i don't know word word search. Search, yeah. i'm guessing so but yeah you, you you like secretly as a writer you're hoping somebody be like hey off the record that was awesome you know like everybody's gonna love this <laughs> they haven't done that yet yeah, see that would be really cool yeah, be fun. that would be cool yeah yeah well so, maybe one day. Your profession you no doubt had to write reams of intelligence assessments and analysis yeah. after action reports whatever how did that writing experience assist you in your fiction writing? And were there any tendencies born of that that you had to kind of overcome or subdue? So it's funny you bring that up because, uh, I, I, you know, I had that question the other day. And, and so I, I can't remember. It was, it was an interview. And I said, you know, honestly, intelligence reports, you know, whether the cables or, uh, you know, anything. I said, they're honestly pretty boring because, um you know, you're trying to put this like a, a lot of information in, in a very succinct way. And, um, and so they're not flashy, they're not fun to read. They're just like data, you know, there's data and there's analysis depending on what you're doing. And so, uh, so for me, that was kind of, uh, and, and, you know, I said, I've tried not to do that when I can. But then I was in another interview and somebody goes, man, I really see your, how like your writing reports really came out strong in the book. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I was like, I hope in a good way. And he's like, no, no, it was like really cool. Like the way you describe stuff almost sound like I was reading like a CIA report or something I was like, okay, well, if it worked for you, but um, yeah, you know, all that stuff, it's, it's, yeah, it can be sort of boring, you know, subject matter is yeah. interesting, but just, it's not presented in a way that's like, you know, if you're, if you're presenting for a policymaker or the warfighter, it's not like, here's this cliffhanger, turn the page. So like, <laughs> see, see who's got, who, who blew up the building, you know, it's like, um, no, it's just like bottom line up front. And here's the, yeah. the details if you want it, you know, I found I had to retrain my brain. Yeah. You know, spending, spending like 20 years writing, you know, like investigative reports yeah. and it's completely different than writing fiction. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different process. Um, it's a different process. So everything's a different, pro you know. Writing, mm -hmm. um, I've I've learned so much as a writer. You know, people think you know if you're writing fiction, like oh, it's so it, it must just come natural to you. Well, mm -hmm. no, it doesn't. No. It, it it comes from a lot of uh, beatings. Uh, from you know, I have a, a, so I, I was mad at telling someone earlier. I have a, a mentors, two New York Times bestselling romance writers, have been in my critique group for the past couple of years, and my mentors. And so, you know, I, I really try to write close point of view, you know, so I write third person, but I try to write, 
um, you know, where it's, it feels like first person for each point of view that I get into. And so when I jump, uh, you know, if I was, you know, venturing out a close point of view, I mean, these two ladies were like those nuns with the ruler, like, no, no, you're getting really? out of there, you know? And, and I'm glad they did that. Cause I think it, I think that's um, been part of the success or, you know, of people that have enjoyed the book. Um, you know, I, I think that helps people. I never want to take people out of the scene for even a second. So even when I do like history, you'll see, I put like little like tidbits, but I never want that narrator voice coming in. I always want it to be, you're in that person's head, you're thinking what they're thinking and it's moving quick, you know? Right, right, right. Well, speaking of which, I, all writers are readers, right? So yeah. before you started down this path, who were your, who were your fictional um, influences uh, growing up? You know, probably given my age, um, and, and this is going to make total sense for people who read this story, but uh, I had two, you know, uh, Tom Clancy, not surprisingly, as, sure. as a, you know, thriller writer, and then Larry McMurtry as the, you know, Western writer. Hmm. Um, uh, those were two of my favorites growing up and two big influences. So if you look at Downrange, it's kind of like, put those two go. stories together, you know, you got kind of a modern Western with the uh, um with the with the thriller you know and uh and so those were two big influences um my all-time favorite thriller novel uh was the charm school by nelson de milda oh, um, yeah. who doesn't like that right now that book that's the definition of a good thriller and i'll be chasing that book for the rest of my life yeah uh, trying to write that book um because it was just so good and you know read it multiple times but i remember the first time i read it i remember just I don't even know how to describe it. Just, you know, when they talk about edge of your seat suspense, that was it for me. And, mm -hmm. and I won't tell, even talk about it. Cause I don't you know, somebody went, go read it. It's just that good. And, uh, and I just remember being in that moment and I always thought, man, if I could ever take readers to that moment, I'll, I'll know I've achieved something. Yeah. Well, how much of an influence would, was Walker, Texas Ranger or uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've honestly, I've never seen an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, man. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I have either, but Lone Wolf McQuaid is actually a Chuck Norris. Oh, love, love, love that, me some Lone Wolf McQuaid. Yeah, that's the one where he, on that. he, he's under the ground with the, Oh, I mean. Yeah, yeah, he pours the beer on himself. <laughs> yeah. <and he laughs> nitrates out. Truck pops it, out. It, him if and David Carradine, yes. Yeah, if it gets any better than that, I don't know how. Right. Um, By the way, those are my impressions of of Texas and Texans. That's that's how I, you know, <laughs> being from the Northeast, like, wow, yeah. man, that's crazy. You think everybody's a badass like like Blue <laughs> yeah, it's yes. true. No, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take your word no. for it. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's it's a, you know, so incidentally, Chuck Norris has a ranch right outside of, of my hometown of Navasota, yeah. where I grew up, and uh, and he was at my grad my high school graduation. He wasn't there for me, but he, he had a niece. Who cares? Before. Yeah, but <laughs> you tell Chuck that story. Norris was at my high school graduation. Yeah, he just kicked so, every graduate in the face as they came <laughs> off the stage. Yeah, like you get your diploma and you get a, like a, a, a kick in the stomach from. There's Chuck a there's Norris. a book right there, right? Terrorist yeah, attack on high school graduation with Chuck Norris <laughs> in the audience. Come on, man. Yeah. Dude, you get you got to send your book to him, by the way. I think he would enjoy this one. Yeah. Yeah, he probably would. He probably would like it. So yeah. maybe I will. And you know the fact that from there maybe hometown yeah, for sure does good or something sure, right? so, for sure um so yeah no so uh no I, it, but yeah but along with mccoy yeah you can't beat that no. <laughs> hey, hey taylor you know i'd imagine you have like dozens of real life stories to help shape your works of fiction um yeah. so like why downrange why that story what message or feeling were you hoping to express it, with this story specifically hmm I don't really know. You know, when, when you started that, you, you kind of went a different way with that question. So I'll answer the question that I decided to answer in my head before you finish <laughs> or whatever. Do it. And then maybe in the meantime. That's your prerogative. Yeah. yeah right. Don't listen to him anyway. <laughs> don't. I'm just here drinking booze. We'll, we'll overdub his question later. With It'll look like one of those old Japanese movies. <laughs> well, so, so, you know what, what, what? Something that you said, it, it's, it sparked this thing. So, um, so one thing that's kind of interesting, I, it was fun to me to tell the, the, the story of a DEA guy involved with the CIA, because mm -hmm. I have a couple of stories. And, and, you know, when I was there, 
before I even went, I remember talking to an FBI agent that re- had retired and I was, and, and this was when I was getting out of graduate school. Cause I was interested in FBI, CIA, even any, anything that, you know, people might, you know, might be that studied international relations and economics like I did. And, um, and he said, well, he said, you know, I, I, I view, you know, the FBI is always kind of the guys in the white hats and the, uh, the CIA is, is the guys in the black hats. And, uh, and that was before, you know, I even uh, did any of that. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting way that they look at it. And I remember years uh, later, what uh, was in this meeting, and, and it was kind of a like a, a community. I mean, there might have been a, a secret service. I can't remember. It was a bunch of different people getting together, and the CIA hosted it. And I remember this FBI special agent standing up. He goes, I don't understand what you guys do. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't that he didn't understand, you know, that we collect intelligence and all this. He didn't understand our mentality. And, um, and he said, you know, our, our thing is, is about, you know, relationships and, and, and all that. And, and, Wait, and the FBI guy said that, no, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, about he did. relationships. He, yeah. <laughs> right, well, you know, like building relationships with partners and, and, yeah. you know, for us, it's, it's a whole different, you know, our, our, you know, when you're in the agency, I mean, your, your job is to still, still secrets, you know, and, and it's just a whole different, it's not that we don't have good partnerships and all that, but it's just, you know, there's law enforcement, there's intelligence world, and it's just different. two different kind of things you know it just really is and um and so so i kind of went up i I put garrett cole uh into that world of like a law enforcement officer working in the intelligence world and you know you might remember that when he first gets involved in and is like i don't trust these people you know and um and so i kind of i kind of wanted to to show that uh i kind of wanted to tell that story of, of what it would be like to be on the outside, you know, looking into the intelligence world and because the intelligence world is so connected to, you know, the national security council and things that are going on in the policy world. And it's just a different ball game. And, and my wife, she always gets so mad. I don't know if you guys have watched any of the narcos, uh, Netflix. Yeah, it's great. But my wife always gets so mad at the CIA guy, you know, the guy that always comes in and like ruins everything. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She's like, Oh, see, that's why I hate the CIA. Like, and so I had to go through this whole story about, well, you got to understand the eighties. Like you have to understand the cold war and cocaine was not that big a deal compared to communism yeah it's gonna take over everything that's right and so there's a whole agenda going on do we want people doing cocaine no but do we want to like all become communists no we didn't want that even worse so (laughs) yeah you know so (laughs) yeah pick your so it's kind of that world and i i I think in the book i kind of wanted to tell that story of what it's like to be from the outside looking in and not being able to trust these guys although you know um i I think in the end the, the cia is a as a source of good not uh evil I, I like to think that they're wearing the white hat and not the black hat but i don't know well, well, i just want to say that <laughs> i just want to say that was a perfect answer to my question oh okay good okay but I he, just he wants us to leave his voice in together. there that's what and, i used to do too and, and when i was i'm going to highlight the uh, part about chris's response to the fbi to don bentley and make sure that he sees that in his- <laughs> oh he knows oh, it he knows uh, no, it. No, every no, time no. the fbi walked into the room everyone went they're coming to take my case <laughs> i had lunch with i had lunch with don bentley um last uh two oh, Sundays. I feel, oh we're sorry I feel sorry for and you. this conversation came up and, and it, it was him and it was another guy that's a friend of mine he's a former ranger reg, regiment guy and he's a screenwriter so we, we were having lunch in austin and they all just started beating the crap out of me over the whole cia thing and y'all aren't as good as you think you are and all uh, that stuff and that sounds and, typical and, and we got in this argument kind of an, a fun argument they said and uh, and the, my ranger friend, uh, he said, "Man, you're turning red." And I was like, "It's hot out here. It's Texas, man. So like, <laughs> leave me alone." You know, <laughs> I was mad though. <laughs> I'm a lot to come. I wasn't gonna admit it. <laughs> you know. Well, we I think we've flustered Don on the show, so yeah, we, we got he deserves it without he even deserves it. That's right. He deserves it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> one aspect of the plot that's been pinging around in my head since I read Downrange is the nexus between cartels and and larger larger criminal enterprises and local criminal elements. Um, yeah. And I, and I got to thinking, if I wanted to network with any group of people in a legal environment, um, it would be quite an undertaking I, it, I, with a lot of false starts, a lot of trial and error, a lot of, hey, do you know anybody that... Yet criminals, and in particular, those in the narcotic circles, seem to have no issues connecting with each other. <laughs> um, f- from your experience and your research for the book and everything involved, why is that? Or is it just my perception? Um, 
Man, I think it's it's a small underground world, and 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 it's despite the fact that um, these guys are in this sort of dirty business, and it seems like sort of underhanded. Um, there is a camaraderie of sorts in the criminal world, and and uh, people they they sort of gravitate uh, to each other. I think. And, and, and people talk, even in that community, they, they talk and they know how to, to, to put people together. Yeah. And, um, and I, 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 I don't really know because I've never been in that world. So I've never, I mean, you know, directly in the criminal world. <laughs> so I don't know how, to like, how, how exactly it goes down. Um, but I do know it, it's, it's, it's a small world and, and, uh, and people know how to get things done and, and they know who to talk to and, and, and things of that nature um and there's always somebody to do a job for the right price there just is and and that's the reality and um you know um uh, things that we wouldn't do because you know we don't for a variety of reasons you know morality and the fact that you don't want to go to prison and all that um doesn't always affect everyone uh, the way it would us and hmm. those guys, well, I'm, I'm those guys find each other. even on a small scale like i know people who are I'm I'm not, but they are heavy pot users, and they'll like they'll go to some city, and they'll be like, half hour after they're there, they're they're scoring pot, and I'm just like, how do you guys have like some freaking app that like the rest of us don't have? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's amazing to see that, and you know, I just I was fascinated as I read that book, and 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 how, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but how the <laughs> larger criminal enterprise interacts with it with the local sort of thug contingent. Well Sean, money is a huge motivator, man. It gets people to do things and move around. <laughs> sure. and, so. it's, not, it's not so much that. It's just the finding. I mean, it, this isn't just the only instance. I was thinking about it. I mean, you know, it, it's true with pedophilia. It's true with mm. things of that nature where, where those people find each other without, you know, finding somebody who's not them. Their who, radar is on. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, I, you know, I was doing some research for another project and I met with these ladies that do sort of outreach for uh, prostitutes and people that are involved in human trafficking. And you want to talk about a fascinating conversation, because I think we all live in a world where we know stuff's going on, but you don't know the extent of it. Yeah, and so yeah. this lady, it was these two ladies, and they're just these sweet ladies. And they, she, they pulled out this, I was like, well, how do like, I mean, how, like, are, are you, I mean, do people drive up and down the roads looking for, I mean, how does it, they, she's like, oh, there's apps, there's like websites, there's all these different things. And she pulled up like these classifieds. I was like, oh, is it kind of like coded where, you know, it's like, hey, looking for entertainment and a dancer. And she's like, no, this is like, I mean, and it, she showed it to me. It's like a naked girl with a, you know, mm -hmm. like basically, I mean, it was like, I was like, well, why don't, if this is out there, why aren't people shutting it down? They're like, there's so much of it. It's hard to shut down. They say they do, you know, people, there's task force, you know, people that are working on this stuff, but it's, it's like, you know, you mentioned it there, when there's money involved, um, there's going to be people that are going to do those things. But, but I mean, look what even happens. Uh, wow. craft got caught up in one of those things. I mean, yeah. the law enforcement's trying to stop some of the sex trafficking that's going on. But, and when, when big, big names get involved, um, yeah. with lots of money look what happens uh yeah. so it goes away yeah it goes away or it, it or it becomes a non-story um yeah well let, let's let's look up instead of like looking uh, with a microscope at, at like the, the criminal small criminal element i i, I kind of want to look at it with a bigger lens um because narcotics and trafficking it looms large in downrange um, and, and this is where like fact in your story where fact and fiction collide. And, and we were talking to Brad Thor the other day and he likes to call it faction where you don't know okay. where the, where the fact and the fiction, it just, it, where either one starts or ends. Right. So my question to you is, is when, with the United States military withdrawing now from Afghanistan, what do you think are the ramifications on the war, supposed war on drugs? Um, first of all, you didn't point out how brilliant I was to, to predict this, to, uh, to, to, my novel to come out August 3rd and then like the summer, I mean, is that brilliant. amazing? Am brilliant. I a good Intel guy or what? Perfect. I'm going to raise um, a glass to that one. He yeah. did predict it. I just edited it out. So he didn't look that smart. <laughs> pure luck, pure luck, but an Intel mm. guy gets it right every now and then. And I got it right on this one. So mm. that was just, that was kind of a fun, um, and, and we're seeing what's happened in downrange. Um, we're already seeing that the Taliban is moving back in. You're starting yep. to see some, some chaos. 
Um, I, I think, and, and this isn't anything, I, I, you know, what I've seen in open source is that we will probably leave some contingent behind, like, well, like we have in downrange, you know, uh, maybe a military uh, intel presence there, because we kind of have to, don't we? I mean, can I we so. really let it get that out of hand again to where it goes back to where it was? And, and you like to think that, you know, we've been there, you know, two decades or whatever, and, um, and, and we would leave this place, you know, self-sufficient. I don't know if we have, and it, you know, it's not for a lack of trying on both sides from, from our side and from the, you know, the good people that are in the Afghan government that are trying, but that, that is a world, I don't even know how to explain that, but yeah, the, the, the drug trafficking is still going to be there. And as I point out in the books, you know, that kind of money leads to bad stuff, not yeah. just like they're not going out and buying Lamborghinis, you know, maybe they're buying surface air missiles or whatever. And so we've got to keep an eye on that. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure, sure we will. Um, but yeah, you know, us pulling out a, a presence like that, that's a tough one, man. I, I feel for any leader that has to make that call because it's not an easy one. We can't stay there forever and ever and ever. You know, that's not a good thing. It's never a good thing to, uh, you know, at some point people kind of want you out of yeah. their country and I get it, we would too. Well, uh, but at the same time, we, it can't go back to pre 9-11. I just can't. found it fascinating that some, yeah. some of the guys who were getting deployed there um, weren't even born when 9-11 happened. Is that just, just, is that just it, it's mind blowing, isn't right. it? It's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we have to do something. But yeah, I have a feeling it's, it's probably going to get worse. I, I, yeah. I, I hope it doesn't but I think it might, at least mm -hmm. in some areas. And, and it all goes back in, in, in book two that I'm working on, you know, it, it, it's, it's all part of that, uh, that interconnection. So it gets worse in book two. It gets worse. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's still problems. There's problems. There's going to be problems. Yeah. Just, uh, well, that's yeah. good. Cause it'd be boring as hell if there weren't problems. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on his porch. Book two, everything's fine. Disneyland. Yeah, like, yeah, let's just sit around and whittle for like. <laughs> book two, he goes um, to Disneyland. Yeah. A lot of horse riding. A lot of horse riding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hey, I want to it's talk a romance to you about two. novel now. Yeah, book romance. two. I, I got a whole new. I got a whole new problem set. You guys aren't even gonna believe, and uh, and it and it goes back to reality. Uh, you're not gonna believe it, but it goes back to a reality that I've experienced here in the Texas Panhandle. But get ready. Uh, get ready. If like if you like book one, you're gonna love book two. Nice. Love, I love the book one. So I'm gonna yeah. Love, okay. Really. Love well, okay. speaking of book one, let's talk about your cover for a second. Yeah. So Mark Graney is a good friend of ours. Yeah. And he's been on the show a number of times. Yeah. What's it like as a debut author staring at someone of his caliber and his level of, uh, of success in, in this genre with his splash across your cover? What does that feel like as, as somebody come out with book one? It's completely surreal. It's yeah. absolutely surreal. Yeah, because you look at these guys, uh, I mean, and you really like, I mean, um, or, you know, when, when you're when you're trying to do what we're doing, your debut author, and you look at the guys that, that were kind of like your heroes and their name is on your book. I know. That's pretty cool. It's about as cool as it gets. And and beyond that, some of these guys I've, I've become friends with. Uh, so it's not just like this, um, like, hey, can I shake your hand kind of a deal. It's like, hey, let's email, let's talk, let's meet for lunch or do whatever. And, uh, and so that's really cool. It's, 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 it's great. It's, it's as good as it gets. Yeah. For those that don't know what he said, uh, it says an intense, authentic and spellbinding powerhouse, Mark Graney, author of relentless. And there's some more inside mm -hmm. yeah. from Mark Graney and other people. Yeah. 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 No, no I'm, I'm super, uh, I, I couldn't be, um, more grateful for those guys who took time, you know, as a writer, I know I literally have zero time to do anything else now and the book's not even out yet but <laughs> but i'm already on that I'm, I'm on that like hamster wheel you know and uh and so the fact that those guys took time out to read the book means a lot uh i'm just blown away by it and i think it's really well, cool and, and so yeah. do you, hey taylor do you have do you have you have two books so once one's already gone through review the second one's already gone through the review with cia but yeah um so does that mean you're working on the third one so third book, um, we'll, we'll, I'll start on that one pretty soon. Uh, I have like, I think up to five books outlined. Was it five? Yeah, five books in the series outlined. 
And so, yeah, I'll need to start working on book three um, pretty soon. Yeah, within the next wow. month or so. If I can get this book out, there's a lot of, you know, obviously marketing, publicity, all that stuff goes on. It's like a full-time job now. And uh, so I'm doing that uh, and I've got other projects going on, but, um, but yeah, so it, it's, um, yeah, I'll need to start working on that pretty soon. You got to start your medication for your imposter syndrome feelings now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, yeah, Mike, right? yeah. Mike mentioned the cover, but also in the, in the acknowledgements, you yeah. mentioned how important Thriller Fest was to your writing journey. Um, and Ooh. connections and all that stuff. So, well, as three guys who actually met at Thriller Fest in 2019, um, we'd love to hear more about that. How, how did Thriller Fest impact your whole process? So I, I can't say enough good things about Thriller Fest. And, and if anybody's out there listening and you want to be a thriller writer, I don't think it's like a nice thing to do. I think it's like something you have to do. Oh, yeah. You got to like, uh, mm -hmm. you just got to get there. Because let me tell you, the first time I went, um, the first time I went, I did is where I, I did get my agent. I didn't get it at get him at John Talbot at, at Pitch Fest. I we'd kind of had this ongoing thing going, and um, and, but I met him there, and 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 I was signed, if you if you will, at at, at, um, at Thriller Fest. But before I went to Thriller Fest, I went to is it Craft Fest? I can't remember the name of it now. Yeah. But I learned so 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 much from those guys that even after I got my agent. I was like, nope, I, I learned so much from this. I want to go back and rewrite the book based on what I learned at Craft Fest. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then just the people that I met, it's like, because at Craft Fest, it's mostly people like you. If you don't have an agent, you haven't been published. They're, they're people trying to, to get there. And so you mm -hmm. have this camaraderie with those people. That's just amazing. And, and people that I keep up with today from other countries. And, um, and so you've got that. And then... Um, it's just such a good networking uh, place. You learn so much. You meet such uh, neat people. I mean, even the at the last one, um, um, I mean, it, you know, at that point I had my agent. Uh, we were kind of in the, in the process of, of pitching the book and things were looking kind of promising. Um, but just being there, I remember like one night I, uh, uh, I got to just hang out with J.D. Barker. And I'd learned a lot from J.D. Barker just reading his books. Yeah. And uh, and he's a great thriller writer. He doesn't really write, you know, like the, the military thriller kind of stuff we're doing. But he is an awesome writer. And I learned so much. And it wasn't like uh, with J.D. Barker. I, 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 I was kind of like, you know, nervous to meet him. And we hung out for probably a couple of hours. And he was yeah. just cool and nice. And um, But, yeah, it's funny, you know. So, like, I remember um, you know, just being a fan. You know, I mean, the first time I met Jack Carr, I got him to sign my book. And I looked down and my hand was shaking. I was so embarrassed. I was like, man, you're in the CIA, man. Buck up, you know. These guys are like heroes. And I was just embarrassed to see my hand was shaking as I like, you know. And, but it is what it is. And 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 so, um, you know, maybe somebody else will be like that with me one day. And yeah. if, if you are, you don't have to be because I'm a normal guy and just – you know, just doing this thing. Well, you are now, but when the movies are made, you're going to be kind of. <laughs> then I'll be a yeah. Don't talk to them. <laughs> the, the crew I mean, reviews. I, I think you, no. I think you hit the nail on the head. We we were overwhelmed by, and I'm speaking oh for all of us because we we've had this discussion many times. But we were overwhelmed by the sense of community there, that wasn't just the big author to the big author. It was the big author to the aspiring author to the new author to everybody in between. I never felt more like I was with my people than I did at Thriller Fest. Uh, and, I, and that includes sports and all the things that I've done before that. I mean, I just felt like I'm with a bunch of people who are all pushing towards the same goal and they're happy to see everybody next to them achieve that goal instead of like begrudging them their success. Right, right, right. Um, you you said you you all right you hit the nail on the head so much with with everything you just said and um and you said be with my people and that's exactly how I felt and that's exactly how I describe it I've never felt more comfortable with people in my life than I, than I had at Thriller Fest and um and you need you need that camaraderie because you need it when yeah. you're trying to get there because you need to know everybody else who's had the same rejections and the fears and all that. And then when you get a little bit further, you're going to, there's going to be another level of people helping you out. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I experienced. Like nobody's like too good to talk to anyone that I've encountered. Everybody was kind and nice and welcoming. And, um, 
no, it's just, it's, it's a great, great organization. And I can't wait till we all meet in person again. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. That's, well, we're going to be seeing future. you at BoucherCon, so. Yeah, we'll see you at yeah, BoucherCon. Yeah, we'll so, so yeah. Another great yeah, That'll be fun. Yeah. I haven't been to BoucherCon yet, so this will be We haven't first. either, but the okay. tremendous organization, so. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard everybody uh, that I've talked to that are writers that go just love it. And so, um, so I'm excited about that, too. Nice. Well, you should be excited because you've lived through the main portion of the crew reviews. You've lived through Where's the main glass. Okay. Okay. Wow. Good. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Taylor Moore went down range with the crew reviews and, and survived. <laughs> went um, I did survive. Yeah. <laughs> inside joke. Um, yeah. So now you, you've reached the lightning round. And as okay. we always say, we didn't put a lot of, oh, we didn't put a lot of thought into the question, so you don't need to put a lot of thought into your answers mm. okay. during this portion. Yeah. Make that a little fun. Fair enough. I will go first since I'm the host. <laughs> and since you're from West Texas, uh, or live in West Texas, I should say, mm -hmm. the most influential actor from West Texas from this group of actors. Okay. Powers Booth, who okay. besides Red Dawn gets a lot of points just for saying bye, well, bye, and Tombstone. <laughs> yeah. Um, Woody Harrelson, um, who's okay. very diverse at, um, actor. Tommy Lee Jones, okay. he's no introduction. And Lisa Welchel, who played Blair from Facts of Life. Hmm. <laughs> I did love the Facts, Facts of Life, and Blair was always my favorite. Um, <laughs> Everybody but is she really from West Texas? I, yes, that's my is. question. Really? She, is she really? She's hmm. West Texas. All right, well, I'm going to find her. We'll, we'll see. Well, um, I'll, I'll go with pa those are all everybody's great, but Powers Booth is there? Is, I mean, do you get cooler than that? Do you no, get cooler than that? Zero like, cooler than that. I mean, in Tombstone, I mean, Tombstone. he makes you love the bad guy, right? Yeah, you, 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 I mean, and he's he's had some other really good roles. Um, he's done some like special operations stuff too, right? Yeah, and uh, he's, the, he's the pilot that gets shot down in Red Dawn, who helps uh, all, oh, I got yeah. four of them. all that, all the hate. You know, <laughs> gonna burn you burn, up. Yeah, burn you up yeah he's he's, ah, got, he's too cool he's got yeah. probably some of the most memorable lines in proportion to his screen time yeah life. probably so <laughs> yeah yeah so you know i think yeah if, i mean no i think he's he's that good I, yeah I, I have to go with him yeah yep. yeah <laughs> all right so like you even more now by the way yeah <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> you mentioned in, in interviews including with us that that where where you live is kind of like stepping back in time to the old west yeah. so if you could go back in time which old west personality would you most like to hang with for a week huh man that's a good 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 question uh charles goodnight would be hard to pass up because i mean this guy did a little bit of everything he was like a texas ranger you know cattle drive you know i mean kind of the I mean, really kind of a founder of our state in some ways. Yeah, um, yeah maybe Charles Goodnight. I mean, and, and then just to do those cattle drives. I mean, like he's sort of the inspiration for Lonesome Dove. I mean, which is yeah. my all time favorite novel. So, I, yeah, I'd have, really? to, I'd have to be Charles Goodnight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, somebody I was doing an uh, interview the other day and they said they hadn't read uh, Lonesome Dove. I said, well, you got to put it on your list. I says, it's not like, in my opinion, it's a good book. It's a, you yeah. know, kill it surprise winning novel, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but it's a huge, it was a huge inspiration uh, for me as a writer. I think it's, it's hands down the, the best book I've ever read. Ever. It's called required reading. That's like, yeah. You know, seeing the Godfather yeah. as a movie. And <laughs> yeah. 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 No, absolutely. All right. So we, we you mentioned earlier, you're from Navasota, which by the way, it makes mm -hmm. me feel like they couldn't decide on what the hell to name the place. And they just, Right. I did read that it's from an Indian word that means muddy something, muddy city or something. I've read what a million it, stories. That's a, yeah. That's, that might, it's I'll like being a Hoosier. That. Everybody has yeah. many different yeah. reasons yeah. for what a Hoosier. Yeah. yeah. Well, where I know, and you said this earlier, that Chuck Norris has a ranch. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to preface it with that. Who is the most intimidating man associated with Navasota? And I'm going to give you three choices. Okay. Chuck Norris, famed lawman Frank Hamer who brought down Bonnie and Clyde. You're going to have to do good, because I was going to say that, so you're going to have to do good and go, go for it. Or Robert Reed for, a.k.a. Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yep. So, Minnesota. Chuck, Chuck Norris, of course, is, is a legend, but um, 
but but Frank Hamer, dude, is that he is so cool. If no, if yeah. if there's anyone out there, I mean, he's the guy that you know killed Bonnie and Clyde, and I mean, but that's not that's not all. I mean, this guy lived many many lives in one, uh, and there's a lot of good books on Frank Hamer. If anybody's ever looking for a good good book on a you know Texas Ranger, uh, good Texas lawman, uh, read 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 about Frank Hamer. And well, yeah, I, I got to go with Frank. I read a little bit, and in 1908, in the in your birth town, um, yeah. there was like a hundred deaths per year shooting in the streets and such like that. Right. And Frank Hamer came in um, in 1908, and by 1911, there was almost no crime in the town. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it was like, <laughs> yeah i I don't know i'm sure everything he did was not uh what you would do now but yeah he he got that tone but it was effective it It was effective effective. it was effective yeah Um, results matter yeah he he got results he did so yeah no he's 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 pretty cool that's awesome all right am i up here i go all right Lone Star Beer wants to know if Shinerbach is really your favorite and you're just blaming Garrett Cole. <laughs> <laughs> I like both. I like uh, I like Lone Star and I like Shiner. Um, Shiner, man, how do I put this? Shiner was kind of like a beer of my generation, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. We love Shiner. I still get Shiner. I still get Lone Star too, but... Um, <laughs> I think that's a requirement that, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... I can't really pick. Uh, Shiner <laughs> happens to be um, well. So Shiner is is Garrett's beer, and Bridger, his brother, he, he's the Lone Star guy. So mm-hmm. can we kind of split the difference? Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. 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 All right. You are sixth generation Texan. Mm. So tell me, any family at the Alamo? Uh, not at the Alamo, but at the Battle of San Jacinto. Uh, my name is Robert Taylor Moore, and the original Robert Moore that, that came here fought at the Battle of San Jacinto wow. after the Alamo. That's so, yeah, my awesome family's history. been here a while. And he uh, only yeah. wins. You guys don't lose. You just win. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, my, my Texas roots uh, run deep. <laughs> yeah, I bet. All right. Where have you been in the world that most closely resembles the Texas landscape where you're from? That's a good question. Um, Northern Argentina. Gosh, if you go too far north, it gets um, <clears throat> gets a little deserty from you know compared to where I'm from. But if I had to compare, you know, like I, I stay, spent some time on a uh, tobacco plantation uh, and cattle ranch in, in uh, Salta, Argentina, and that was the closest place I, I could have moved there and, and really not skipped the beat. Um, it was so much like where I grew up. Just the people. It looked a little bit different, but it was just so summer, you know, very agrarian, very rural uh, type place with just similar type people. And I, it just had the feel of where I grew up in wow. Texas. So kind of that northern northern part of Argentina. It, Never would have guessed a, that ever. Yeah, There's right. story <laughs> there. Like, dude, yeah. how'd you end up there? But <laughs> Oh, I, I backpacked around South America. We'll talk off college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Backpacked no, I, and got a job. I went to Antarctica. Yeah, I, I took a Russian but, research right, so vessel to Antarctica. <laughs> that's my yeah, first a, question for you, because I'm up. Okay. How many okay, times did you it. throw up as you sailed through the Drake Passage <clears throat> aboard a Russian icebreaker? Let me tell you, I, I didn't throw up any, but I was so terrified. Everybody told me how horrible it was. I started taking Dramamine, I think the day before I got on the boat, just so it'd be in my system <laughs> ingrained. And my, like, I, I, I was just running through my bloodstream. But it was absolutely, that Drake Pass, which was absolutely insane. Really? And, uh, and half the, I'd say half the, the, uh, the, the boat was uh, embedded with seasickness uh, for the you know first day, Jeez. and uh, and my poor roommate he was like in bad shape. Um, <laughs> but it, it's so wild. I, I you have to actually. I remember wedging myself when I'm trying to sleep at night, wedging myself into a corner because if not, you just roll right out of bed. <laughs> it was it was just, you can't even imagine how crazy. So it was. so so does that mean when you go to the bathroom, you're always sitting? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe I just went <laughs> off the side. I can't remember. Uh, it was kind of a party boat, too. There was just people from all over the world that are on this thing. That's and awesome. We literally partied all night long uh, one night, and the sun never went down. That was what was crazy. Oh, uh, man, it's like Vegas. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was weird. But, I mean, you're outside. It just <laughs> exactly like, like it gets Vegas. kind of dark, but not dark. And so, yeah, it, it was a wild wow. scene. That means it's time for drinking. All right, so... All right. <laughs> 
Texans are proud of being from Texas, right? Right. So, but what's the single worst thing about Texas? Uh, the humidity. Yeah, the humidity mm. is just awful. And, and and fortunately, I live in the high plains now, and so the humidity isn't at, as bad. But growing up where I did, Navasota, <laughs> it's just hot and humid, man. And uh, and so you know, in the summers, you know, working on a ranch, uh, you know, farming ranch, I would get out there, and that was my that was my summer, and you'd go out and fix fence or do whatever. And I remember like looking at the truck and. You know, it said like 115 on the deal, Jesus. and that's what harder than it was. But you know, it was just baking on there, and you get out, and it's like stepping into a sauna that's also 100 over 100 <laughs> degrees, and you just immediately just start sweating, and just I mean, yeah, heat and humidity, and then if you throw some mosquitoes in there, that's <laughs> yeah, that's a killer, man. And that's, killer. Well, that's what made Robert Reed so tough, Mike Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I spent I spent yeah, some time you know, down in. Uh, you, you threw that. In. He was from Navas, or he, there was something about that, right? I don't, I, I've asked people about that, and he, he wasn't born there, but he grew up there. It's so weird. I don't know if that's true. I think that's a different. <laughs> I don't know. I, I check your facts, man. No, I'm just no, it's probably true. Probably true. I, uh, yeah, I, I did read that a long time ago. It's funny. All uh, right, here, here, here is my last question. Uh, I do not think you're going to get this right. You gave a perfect answer before. I do not think you'll give a perfect answer now. Okay. So if you took every single human being in the world and transported them to Texas, okay. how much living space would each person have in square footage? In square footage? I don't, man, I, I, well, I don't know. 200 square feet. I don't know. I can't even, yeah, I can't even fathom. Okay. What was it? 1,200. 12, oh, okay. Seven billion. That's amazing. Twelve hundred. Amazing. Twelve hundred. Okay, that's pretty. That is apartment amazing for sure. I would have guessed like yeah. fifty. So yeah, that's that's great. that's how big Texas is. Oof, well, if you come man. out to the the Texas Panhandle, the High Plains where I am, there's a lot of space, man. There's as far as the eye can see is there's space, and it's it's honestly it's mind boggling. You know, again, gr having grown up in Texas. It, I, I literally, um, there were times when I would drive up uh, to this town called Perryton and, and I'd, I would pull over my truck and just stare out at, at, at nothing, nothing in some ways. Like you're looking out at nothing. It's just beyond insane because um, there's just that much flat land and space. So there is a lot of land. I'll, I'll, I will say that. Well, with enough Californias coming in, that'll be, it'll change. <laughs> well, you yeah. You, you have internet so that's that's a <laughs> that's something well, that is something we do have that that is good <laughs> well we'll we'll come out for your next book we'll do a cruise on location in west texas mm. oh it's gonna absolutely. be like absolutely yeah absolutely there's a there's a a really fun um a thing that, that they might have seen on my social media um out of mendota ranch there's this thing called rotor recoil where you can fly uh in a helicopter and shoot ar-15s out at targets and it's like <laughs> the most fun you'll ever have in your That's, entire life that sounds and perfect. uh yeah and so it, it's it's a it's it's a hoot so if you if you come out here we'll we'll take a trip up to Canada yeah and oh that. yeah i'll drink to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i will drink to you surviving not only the main portion but the lightning round okay um, Good. Your, your time yeah. as an analyst and an operative prepared you well and that's right you were you were able to come through unscathed mm. the I've, reader I've, however will not come through unscathed uh, downrange okay. is a fantastic book it's a thrill ride and i know that's a cliche but it really is um but it's got a huge heart in the middle yeah, of it which is what separates yeah. it from yep. um your average thriller let alone your average debut thriller um fantastic job can't wait to read book two and we appreciate you coming on the show hey th thank you for the kind words and thank you for having me on i appreciate it and um i'll, I'll be happy to come back on anytime salud we'll see yeah. you in new orleans i'll see you in new orleans mm -hmm. oh. want to thank taylor moore for coming on the show mm -hmm. he is not just the normal debut author and this is not just a normal debut author's book Taylor had a great career as a CIA um, agent, both intelligence and operations. Mm -hmm. And this book shows an authentic voice. Yes. Someone who's been there and done that. Mm -hmm. Pick this up. Join us every freaking Monday. Ooh. Raise a glass. Seems angry. Mm. All right. Maybe because the show's over. Taylor Moore, downright.
Mm-mm. I have to pee first, sorry. Hey, I don't go leave, though. Food. Just just go right there. <laughs> go eat yeah. burn food. Just go right there. Hey, I'm Taylor Moore, and you should be watching the crew. crew. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> hey, I'm, hey, I'm Taylor Moore, and you should be watching the crew reviews. Let's try that oh, one fun. more time. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm Taylor Moore, and you should be watching the crew. crew. Let me get a more. <laughs> Here we are. This is the outro for Taylor Moore. And, oh, you can't see it because I'm holding up the book. <laughs> and it's on Chris, on Sean. I was, I was trying to do like a whole cover reveal and it's like, nah. take two. This take is- two, he didn't even take one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an integral part I'm of this, goddammit. I haven't said a word yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is the outro for Taylor Moore and Downrange. Sean is as green as the walls in his house. Maybe even greener. Man, that was poor choice. And here we go. In three, two, and game.